This is Global Tennessee, news analysis and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, nonprofit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants. This is Patrick Ryan, president of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Welcome to the Global Tennessee podcast. Uh, before we start with our interview today with Congressman Jim Cooper, the 5th District of Tennessee, I'd like to uh, tell you a little bit about the World Affairs Council and invite you to become a member or a donor uh, to sustain uh, the work of the World Affairs Council. We're now in our 13th year as a nonprofit, nonpartisan educational organization, and our mission is to help the community understand what's going on in the world. Uh, We believe uh, as we enter a new uh, year that that's uh, increasingly important for people to have a better understanding of what's going on. We face numerous crises uh, around the world and also kind of a transformation in uh, America's position in the world where our interests are being redefined. So it's important for citizens to understand what uh, is happening in the world, what these challenges are, what's happening in this transformation to uh, a new American uh, position in in the world of uh, increasingly difficult challenges, and also to be prepared to exercise uh, their duties as citizens to select uh, national office holders in November of 2020. So uh, take a look at uh, tnwac.org, look at the calendar and see what we've done over the last year in terms of bringing very high quality speakers to the community, and also our work with high schools and universities in helping the youth prepare to meet the challenges of the future. So again, I invite you to become a member of the World Affairs Council. There are numerous benefits in addition to coming to our programs of distinguished visiting speakers, and all of that information is on our website at tnwac.org slant join. Uh, and likewise, if uh, you're able to make a financial contribution, no matter uh, what the amount uh, might be, that would be very helpful. The World Affairs Council is a nonprofit. We are not funded by any government uh, or other organization and we appreciate uh, the support of members and donors to keep our operations going. Uh, with that, I'll uh, introduce uh, uh, Mr. Jim Shepard, Chairman of the World Affairs Council. Uh, he'll be joining me in our interview with Congressman Jim Cooper. Uh, Congressman Cooper, as I mentioned, is the uh, U.S. Congressman from the 5th District of the State of Tennessee. Uh, Congressman Cooper is assigned to the three most significant committees in the U.S. House of Representatives. He serves on the Armed Services Committee, which ensures the military has the resources needed to defend America. The committee this year will oversee a budget exceeding $700 billion. Congressman Cooper serves as the chairman of the Subcommittee on Strategic Forces, which oversees our nation's strategic weapons, ballistic missile, space program, and the Department of Energy National Security Programs. He also serves on the Sea Power and Projection Forces Subcommittee and the Intelligence, uh, Emerging Threats, and Capabilities Subcommittees. All of these committee and subcommittee assignments will be discussed with Congressman Cooper today as we discuss the role of Congress in U.S. foreign policy and his uh, perspective on America's role in the world and our interests abroad. I will also be discussing... Uh, some of the issues confronting uh, American foreign policymakers uh, today in specific cases around the world. Uh, Again, uh, Mr. Jim Cooper, the chairman of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, 
uh, will be joining me in our interview with Congressman Cooper. So enjoy this uh, podcast, and please uh, take a listen to the other Global Tennessee podcasts. Uh, you can find a listing at tnwac.org slash podcast uh, for our uh, year-and-a-half uh, archive of uh, interesting podcasts. So take a listen, and uh, we hope that uh, you'll be back. Here now is our interview with Congressman Jim Cooper. Welcome to Global Tennessee Podcast. I'm Patrick Ryan here with World Affairs Council Chairman Jim Shepard. Today we're talking with Congressman uh, Jim Cooper. Uh, welcome and thanks for joining us today, Congressman Cooper. Thank you so much, Patrick. Glad to be here. Well, we're, uh, we're privileged to have you um, doing uh, our podcast and, and also an evening event at beautiful Belmont University uh, with uh, a good turnout expected from our community, helping people understand what's what's going on in the world, um, and certainly there's no shortage of things happening, and we're, uh, we're happy to have you back here in Nashville with, uh, with the demands of Washington probably close at your heels. Thank you. I'm honored to be back. International affairs are super important, and so many Americans tend to forget about that. Well, we, we appreciate that, and uh, we, uh, we're working hard to, to reverse the, uh, the problem with the global literacy, as, as we're fond of calling it, uh, the challenge of helping people understand what's going on in the world. Uh, Jim, I, I think um, we'll uh, we'll kick off with uh, some area of inquiry that uh, you wanted to uh, to bring up with uh, Congressman uh, Jim Cooper, our guest today. Well, th- thank you, Pat. Certainly appreciate the opportunity, and Congressman, thank once again, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jim. You've got a great first name. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> no complaints. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we're here to talk about global issues, but maybe let's start with a little bit of background, your role the, and the role of Congress in U.S. foreign affairs. And we'll get into a little bit detail later on in your work with the House Armed Services Committee. But can you give our listeners an understanding of the role of Congress as it relates to foreign affairs and maybe compare, contrast that with the responsibilities of the executive branch? Well, as you know, the founders in the Constitution set the pattern uh, the president is, of course, the commander-in-chief of the military. But foreign affairs, um, Congress has a big role because at least the United States Senate has to ratify treaties and confirm ambassadors and things like that. The workings of government, all the appropriations for the State Department, for USAID, the uh, grants like that, all that has to come through Congress. So the president has to work very, very closely with Congress. And actually, we've seen in this latest Ukraine scandal the president unilaterally stopping the $400 million of aid that Congress had duly appropriated to fight Russians in the Ukraine. Now, American troops weren't doing it, but we were funding the Ukrainians as they resisted Russian aggression in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Well, a, uh, a subtext to the World Affairs Council mission is, is to improve the global awareness of the community so that collectively we can better exercise our citizens' responsibilities and duties. Can you characterize the impact of our constituents' opinions and suggestions, complaints, on the decision-making process for you and for Congress in general? Well, my title is representative, so I listen very closely to all the 700,000 people in the Nashville area that I have the privilege of representing. And often they talk to me about foreign affairs, but usually it's indirect. It might be a trade issue that their company faces, or it might be an immigration problem that they have with their firm. Or it might be a vacation plan that was suddenly upended when they read bad headlines in the paper. Or it might be a passport issue. Things like that come up. 
And oftentimes, distressingly, we've had some honeymooners who were going to the Caribbean and didn't realize they needed a passport to go down there or even to Canada or Mexico. So uh, I just discovered today that only 244,000 Tennesseans have a passport. So that limits their travel options. That's only like 3% of Tennesseans, whereas nationwide, I think it's something like almost 50% of Americans have passports. So I don't want Tennesseans to be left behind. And I know, for example, our farmers, who you may think have really not gone farther than Florida, oftentimes their crops, their soybeans, their corn, their livestock, those are shipped to Japan or Asia or Europe. And due to the quality of our agriculture, these are very sought after products and very important markets for our people, even in the most rural county in Tennessee. Well, we certainly do have a, a lot of uh, trade and investment uh, interests here in Tennessee. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, as we get into uh, specific subjects. One area I'd, I'd like to ask about, uh, Congressman Cooper, is um, your uh, your role on the uh, House Armed Services Committee. Now, you've been on uh, the HASC for uh, some years, but this year you uh, became chairman of the Subcommittee on Nuclear Forces. And uh, I understand that there's some very important issues coming up with force modernization. Can you talk a little bit about the issues that that uh, Americans should know about in terms of our strategic arsenal and uh, also the uh, modernization of our, our nuclear forces, the, the triad, whether uh, we're going to continue to have the same composition of nuclear forces? I'm so glad to talk to you all about this because I don't think anybody in Tennessee has ever asked me about question about my subcommittee jurisdiction. <laughs> because I'm not only in charge of nuclear weapons, but also satellites, military satellites in particular. And both of those are incredibly important areas. You don't want mistakes in either area, because uh, literally one could destroy the planet if you're talking about nuclear weapons. But also, it's just vital for U.S. national security. So this was not a job that I sought out. Um, Speaker Pelosi assigned me to the Armed Services Committee. I have never served in uniform. I've studied the issues very closely. Being a nerd, that helps. Uh, these are some of the most technical issues that our country faces. And as I say, zero margin for error. So there's some really hot issues right now in the current defense bill, which is the largest single bill that Congress will pass this year. It's almost half of federal discretionary spending. It's over $700 billion. It's a fantastic amount of money. But it's there and necessary because we fund the most important, uh, the most necessary military in the world. Because even our enemies acknowledge that Americans are fair. We are the benevolent power. We have had tremendous power since World War II, but we've used it really for the benefit of the world. And one of the leading examples of that are GPS satellites. Literally, that is a free service for the planet. These are all military satellites. It's really a miracle that MapQuest or uh, these other uh, route finder things can create industries like Uber or Lyft. And that's all amazing. I know some folks who can't play golf without relying on <laughs> satellite navigation because they want to know how close they are to the green. And it's astonishing how accurate the service is and how free. And the United States, we never thought about charging for that. So that's just a fairly recent technical example of how even the U.S. military has provided one of the most valuable free services that the world has ever known. If we could uh, drill down a little bit on uh, the nuclear force modernization, because I know we're about to spend a lot of money in, uh, in the upcoming years. Uh, what, where do we stand with uh, making uh, critical choices about the force composition, bombers, submarines, ICBMs? Uh, what, what's the mix likely to look like uh, in the future? Well, the big picture in this area is surprisingly largely good news and largely bipartisan. 
because after decades of just relying on our old delivery systems, our old B-52 bombers, for example, that are older than the grandparents of current pilots, our old submarines or our old uh, missiles in the missile fields of the plane states, now we're upgrading all those delivery systems. And um, they will still have nuclear warheads, but we're not modernizing the warheads in any sort of uh, fair sense of the word. We're updating them to make sure that they're safe, secure, and reliable. Some of the components of those bombs when they were put together in the 60s, 70s, 80s, the conventional explosive therein needs to be updated. Some of the wiring needs to be updated. You know, nothing lasts forever. And so we're really just the squirrels trying, get inside things. Well, hopefully no squirrels, but hopefully we're just keeping the same capability that those weapons had, but just so that they're more safe, secure, and reliable. This is a hugely expensive process. Many of the scientists who developed the bombs and built the bombs are no longer with us. It's my understanding there's one gentleman named Ralph, and if he were to die, we would not be able to know how to do this. So we need to give him the sort of health care that Ruth Bader Ginsburg <laughs> is getting on the Supreme Court because Ralph seems to be indispensable. So it's really more a rehab of the weapons. Um, we're not allowed to test weapons above ground, of course, under the test ban treaty. There is extremely limited below ground testing, but subcritical things. So we're really trying to set an example for the world to reduce the reliance on nuclear weapons. Today with rogue states, you're not quite sure who's gonna get their hands on one. So we need to reduce the volume and the uh, trigger uh, potential of these weapons. There was one uh, one issue that uh, drew some criticism was the development of a uh, smaller yield weapon that might make uh, nuclear war more more uh, not likely, but uh, a better choice for someone to to use a lower yield weapon. Is is that uh, an issue that that you see a lot of talk about? This was a very contentious issue this year in the debate in committee. Um, it became, sadly, a partisan issue when, if you look at the fundamentals, uh, America already has uh, in the neighborhood of a 1,000 of these weapons. This is not a new thing. But what they wanted to do was to try to make previous administrations look weak by not deploying a low-yield option just for our submarines. So the warhead is actually already developed. The question was whether to deploy it on our submarines. And as you know, as a sailor yourself, you, this is um, arguably the silent service, the most important leg of our nuclear triad. Um, when those subs launch weapons, they put a target on their backs. And if they're going to launch, it should be for a good purpose, not for a smaller yield weapon. So I was on the side of we don't need to develop these things. We already have a 1,000 so they can be delivered by other means, and why endanger the lives of our sailors on these very precious nuclear submarines that depend on stealth, that are literally unlocatable on the planet, except when they launch. And then by putting a target on their backs, it looked to me to be a dangerous thing. I'm okay with having the warheads available, and in a national world crisis, we might come to a situation where we might need to deploy them, but the circumstances do not call for that now. And as I say, sadly, this became a politically contentious issue, but mainly because this administration wanted to out-macho past administrations. Another uh, question in, in uh, the past couple of years has been the uh, inter Intermediate Nuclear Force Treaty with uh, Russia that the United States has now stepped back from. Uh, can you comment on uh, where we are with our 
intermediate nuclear forces uh, subsequent to the treaty going uh, going aside? Well, a lot of the treaty talk gets kind of complicated, but the INF treaty, so-called uh, the Intermediate Force Treaty, was really for the benefit of our European allies. They needed that protection so that the then Soviet Union and now Russia could not launch a preemptive attack on them because by definition an intermediate weapon is of a limited range. It could not strike the United States. So we undertook this treaty with Russia, formerly the Soviet Union, in hopes of protecting our great allies in Europe, the free nations of the West. This is a very worthy thing to do. Sadly, the Russians have been cheating on that treaty for a long time. And we faced a choice. Do we try to force Russia back into compliance, or do we also give up on the treaty? And sadly, I think we chose the tack of also giving up on the treaty, which allows Putin a propaganda victory. And Putin you know, is a Russian leader who has, to my knowledge, never been criticized by our president. It's sad that I think today we have the most pro-Russian president we've probably had in this country since World War II. So there is a legitimate argument that perhaps China now should be included in that treaty, but China shows no signs whatsoever of wanting to even negotiate. Sure. So why give up a treaty that was working? It was breached in part. We caught the Russians doing it. Let's continue to make them look bad instead of us essentially cheating on the treaty too or allowing the treaty to fall apart. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. We're talking with Congressman Jim Cooper from the 5th District in Tennessee representing uh, Nashville and uh parts of uh, Cheatham and Dixon County. Cheatham and Dixon County. And uh, we'll be back in just a minute with uh, more on global issues with Congressman Jim Cooper. You're listening to Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council. We invite you to share your thoughts with us in email, info at tnwac.org. You can subscribe to the World Affairs Council newsletter on the website, tnwac.org. And you can like us on Facebook at Tennessee WAC as well as follow us on Twitter at TNWAC. Don't forget to tell your friends about Global Tennessee and the World Affairs Council. This podcast and other educational programs from the World Affairs Council are supported by you and our sponsors. Are you interested in supporting global affairs awareness in your community? Visit TNWAC.org for more information. Welcome back to Global Tennessee. I'm Patrick Ryan from Tennessee World Affairs Council. We're talking today with Congressman Jim Cooper about global issues, and we've uh, gone through his uh, assignments in, in the House Armed Services Committee and talked a little bit about the role of Congress. And uh, uh, Jim Shepard's going to uh, pick it up here and talk a little bit about what's going on uh, around the world. Jim? Well, Congressman Cooper, let's maybe do a little bit of tour around the world here. There's a lot of, lot of hot issues going on all over the globe. And maybe we can just spend a little bit of time on a couple of them and getting your insights and perhaps start with one that's uh, very current right now, which is the activities by Russia, their expansion, and specifically their uh, involvement in the elections, not only in our country, but other countries around the world. Any, any comments in that general area? Vladimir Putin, the head of Russia, the former KGB agent, is one of the scariest people on the planet because he is playing very well a weak hand that Russia has because they have got a shrinking population. Their economy is in ruins. But he has um, created this nationalist sentiment, taking over Crimea and things like that, the first really aggression we've seen since World War II. And he's gotten away with it, almost got free. And now we have a president who won't criticize him even in the most minor way. And that really worries me. We do have sanctions against Russia and some oligarchs. But Putin himself, who was offered a penthouse suite 
in Trump Tower, Moscow. Should that be built? Is getting away and just laughing all the way to the bank and to greater world power. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, go to the other side of the world a little bit, China. Uh, we've seen a, a pretty significant rise of, of the uh, economic performance of China and their activities on the global stage. And it appears that their desires are to take a, a bigger and bigger role as we go forward. In, uh, in the U.S., from the U.S. perspective, right now we're in, engaged in the uh, trade war. Any uh, any predictions on how that's going to play out, and and if we really roll forward 10, 15, 20 years from now, what would you see the future to look like? Wow, you only ask these questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, China is by far our greatest long-term threat, and they don't necessarily have to be a threat, but they are acting under President Xi in a very belligerent way. For example, their aggression in the South China Sea, which is completely unnecessary. There are other steps that China has taken to steal our technology and to not follow the real philosophy of the World Trade Organization. That's why the trade war is going on right now with China. But they are also the largest nation on Earth until India grows a little bit larger. And they have merged communism with capitalism in a way that has created an amazing economic power. In fact, by some measures, they are already bigger than the U.S. economy. Of course, they have far more people. So we really don't know the outcome of this. I would focus um, a lot of young Americans' attention, especially on the East, because generally we have not uh, focused that way on the Orient. And these powers uh, need to be understood. Uh, China simply cannot be ignored in any sphere. And we're worried about them not only economically, but militarily. I hope they do not become aggressive. But when you have 1.4 billion people and you see a mood, it's like in Hong Kong, where those brave people are trying to defy their uh, Beijing masters. This is really a fight for freedom for the entire world, and we need to be engaged in it. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, what aspects of engagement would you think could be effective for us? And we, we obviously are fighting the trade activities right now, but what areas do you think we could focus on to, uh, to try to redirect some of China's activities? I think the average Chinese citizen is a very fine, hardworking, wonderful person. It's their leadership and the Communist Party that worries me the most. And President Xi has taken greater powers than any Chinese leader since Mao Zedong. We had thought under Deng Xiaoping that they would move more toward the West and be a more moderate, uh, benevolent power. But right now, um, no one can say that with authority. And they're a very opaque society, so you don't really know what is going on. We do know, for example, that they have built, get this, 3,000 miles of tunnels for defense purposes and possibly including hiding their nuclear weapons. And just think of that. That's a tunnel all the way from New York to Los Angeles. That takes fantastic human and machine power to build a tunnel like that. And why would they do that? You know, this is amazing. No one that I've ever heard of wanted to attack China. General MacArthur didn't want to do that in the Korean War. You know, you do not fight a land war in Asia. We are not interested in doing that. Um, so this you, understanding a different psychology is a very difficult thing to do. We didn't understand that very well in the Middle East, and I'm worried that we're not understanding it very well in the Far East. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the Middle East, that's a, another area of the world that's not lacking for uh, hot topic issues. Uh, maybe take a few minutes and talk a little bit about uh, Syria and how you think that may play out over the next couple of years. I think we all understand what's happened recently, 
but what, what do you think may be happening in the near future? Actually, another element of surprising bipartisanship in Congress is regarding the Middle East, because about the only three votes we've had this year where the House and Senate Republicans and Democrats agreed was on criticizing the president's Syrian policy, criticizing his and Saudi's policy on Yemen, and on the Khashoggi murder that happened in Turkey, because uh, the Turkish leader, who was recently welcomed to the White House, has also acted out by buying the Russian S-400 anti-aircraft system. So there are a lot of problems, but surprisingly bipartisan congressional consensus that the president is wrong on all these issues. Um, I hope that we can translate that into positive policy, because when the president is the commander-in-chief uh, and has much more sway, he can fire or hire any ambassador he wants. But I hope he will um, support U.S. policy and not undermining it with his side deals, which even his former national security advisor, John Bolton, called a drug deal. And that's just not a good way to run a government. Right. Well, staying in the Middle East, uh, thinking a little bit, I was in Qatar a year ago, so I'm a little more sensitive to the issues there and their relationship with Saudi Arabia. And over the last couple of months, we've seen some, some changes exhibited by Saudi Arabia. Uh, the war in Yemen is uh, you know, backing off a little bit, and the embargo, it's not lifted, but there's some movement in, uh, in that direction. Any, uh, any insights that, that you see uh, happening with the Saudi government and how they may be behaving in the near future? Well, the kingdom seems to be led by this young prince, MBS, and he seems to have uh, enough power to do almost anything he wants, including authorize the murder of the journalist Khashoggi in Istanbul, which is a horrific crime. Um, you could say there are war crimes going on in Yemen because this war has gone on for years with heavy U.S. support. And uh, it's created another, yet another proxy war situation in the Middle East where you basically have Iranian proxies on one side and uh, Saudi or Arab proxies on the other. I wish that the president had not abrogated the Iranian nuclear deal because it was far from a perfect deal, but at least it kept Iran from having nukes for about 10 years. And now they're racing headlong to have nuclear weapons. And that is not a stable situation. It was a miracle we had the P5 plus one group of allies, including Russia and China, try to put a lid on Iran. And now the lid is blown off. So that's not good for anybody. Well, we're going to uh, shift gears here a little bit. Uh, we're uh, getting long on time. And Congressman Cooper, we appreciate you uh, joining us for our Global Tendency uh, podcast today. I'd like to talk just uh, briefly about the challenge to multilateral institutions like NATO and other uh, other of the various infrastructure that was put in place after World War II that is being diminished in recent years. And, and we'll wrap up with uh, your perspective on, on what might be called the transformation in the U.S. position in the world, uh, our approach to foreign policy, our uh, making and breaking uh, different uh, relationships in the world, some that challenge our traditional alliances uh, and allies, and, and everything that we see happening in the news every day that is creating what some people might call a new normal or a new abnormal. Well, NATO is probably the most successful military alliance in the history of the world. We have benefited from that tremendously ever since World War II. And now it's more uh, threatened than it has been since World War II. I wish that the president were not so nice to our terrible enemies, dictators around the world, and not so hard on our allies because we depend on our allies. In fact, it's really a magnificent part of our strength because unlike any other world power, 
we can count on uh, countries like England and Japan and others to really come to our aid when we need them. Regarding NATO, the only time Article 5 has ever been exercised, that's if one country's attacked, everyone feels like they're attacked, was they're helping us in the Middle East, in Iraq and Afghanistan, and they didn't have to do that. And they've had troop presence there for years defending our interests because they too are threatened by terrorism. So the NATO alliance is a magnificent thing that was created. We must keep it strong. These are our best friends on the planet, and we may need their help sooner than we realize. And President Macron recently said it was uh, brain dead, uh, or words the equivalent that uh, showed sort of the disdain in, in uh, Europe with what's what's been happening. It's so sad. And, you know, France doesn't have clean hands completely. De Gaulle would aggravate us <laughs> occasionally. So France has been, but in, in aggregate, uh, the Western European folks, and together we're the largest part of the world and by far the biggest part of the economy. And th this, remember, is the free world. We've got to keep the free world strong. We've got to keep democracy strong. Because the other side, the autocrats, the dictators, the torturers, the murderers, they want to take everything we've got. And we've got to keep the West, the free West, strong. And by keeping NATO strong, we can help do that. Now, as far as foreign policy and U.S. foreign affairs, our interests around the world, we do see a change uh, in, in America's standing in the world and what we are um, doing in the world and how the world reacts to us. Uh, how, how should people come to understand uh, this uh, new way of looking at the world? Well, um, I hope not. That, not to end on a uh, <laughs> pessimistic I, note, but I uh, hope that American voters understand how important foreign policy is, because I think we all enjoy being the greatest power on earth, the world's only true superpower, and a benevolent power. We're not perfect by any means. We've had terrible mistakes, but. Even our worst enemies look on us as the power they could trust the most. One reason our economy is so strong here is because people from all over the world, if they really want to have their money safe, they put it in this country. They might buy a condo in Florida or have a bank account in New York or a farm maybe in Tennessee or a factory, you know, because we are the safe haven for the world. That's why the dollar is the reserve currency of the world. That's why our sailors, soldiers, airmen, and Marines can go anywhere on earth and people know that they are law-abiding, honorable warriors. So this is a great legacy. We're greater than the British Empire, the Roman Empire, any empire, but because we do not choose to be a colonial empire. We are a benevolent superpower, and that is a legacy that all Tennesseans should appreciate, and we should all do our best to preserve. Well, we appreciate that. Uh... We're, uh, we're talking with Congressman Jim Cooper, and this is the Tennessee uh, Global Tennessee podcast from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Congressman Cooper, thanks for coming in today and talking with us about uh, global issues. Thank you, Patrick and Jim. And uh, Jim, thanks for uh, participating today, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll leave it uh, at that. Invite people to uh, visit tnwac.org for other podcasts in the Global Tennessee series, and while there they can uh, become a member or uh, make a donation to help uh, support the podcast program. And uh, that's it for today. Thank you all, and uh, we'll talk with you next time. This has been Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council in cooperation with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The executive producer of Global Tennessee is Patrick Ryan, senior producer Logan Monday, technical advisor Bill Ryan. 
and the voice of Global Tennessee, as well as the Penn Jones Conspiracy, I'm Benjamin Olson. Visit tnwac.org slash podcast for more information.